This podcast is brought to you by Zeno Mueller, three-time Olympian and gold medalist. Imagine a 20-second 2K PR by the end of this season, or even sooner. Elite rowing coach by Zeno Mueller is a competitive advantage. The ERG score is the SAT of rowing, so find out what Zeno Mueller can do for you. Make sure to use coupon 4STARS, F-O-R-S-T-A-R-S, for $200 off on any program he has on his website. Zeno is an Olympian and graduate from Brown University, coached by the legendary Steve Gladstone. He'll get you right, he'll get your 2K down, and he'll be a better athlete after his training. So make sure you tune in with Zeno and get some coaching at EliteRowingCoach.com. There's a statement here that boys want to try considering a bucket in the 1V. Yeah, good luck. On tonight's program, ladies and gentlemen, we have something that's going to make you sick. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Four Stars Podcast, where today we get to hear from Director of Rowing of the Naval Academy, Coach Rob Friedrich. Coach, it's an awesome opportunity to talk to you today. How are you doing today? Uh, doing great, Hudson. Uh, glad to be here. I'm looking forward to our talk. Being at the Naval Academy, you know, there's more than just rowing that we we talk about, you know, as, as far as leadership and developing these midshipmen, our athletes, you know, to, to go along with the mission of the Naval Academy, you know, to develop them morally, mentally, and physically to prepare to, to join the military service. And so we have a common purpose at, at Navy, you know, to serve their country. And a goal, you know, graduating from the Naval Academy, which makes this job that I have very special, right? It's coaching these guys is is a, an amazing opportunity for myself. Um, this wasn't the first school that I coached at, and but it's hopefully the last. You know, I I, I love the Naval Academy, love being here, working with the students. Um, you know, so going out on the water every day with the with them is is very special. Trying to get better every day, obviously, is our goal. Uh, to improve physically, mentally, technically out on the water to be prepared for race day. Um, but it's 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 a, it's amazing to be out there every day with those guys. Now, you know, you talk about the guys on the team, right? Like this is this is what makes the roster. Uh, you know, I bring up Coach Chris Clark, you know, not just got had a podcast with him yesterday, but he was once the coach there on your uh, on your staff. And uh, he did tell me it's not what it's not where, but it's who. Who's on the team? Who makes the team better each and every day? Uh, you know, he's been in Wisconsin for over three decades, part of your IRCA coaching staff, like you just mentioned. I'm just curious to know the process of getting these athletes onto your team. So different than any other team in America. Maybe you want to, you know, say the the Army and whatnot, but this is this is such a interesting program that no other program in the country is like. Like, there's no one like it. So I'm just curious to know how you, the recruitment process. Uh, is different than other programs that you've either been coached at. Yeah, that's that's the biggest question we get usually is is how is recruiting different at the Naval Academy? And I always tell people it's harder and potentially easier than most other colleges in rowing. We're a very different school. The hard part is the the pool of of recruits of ours is probably not as big as everyone else's, right? Because 
They have to have an interest in serving their country and joining the military. That's the hard part. The easy part is the recruits that we get who have that commitment level of wanting to serve their country are really committed to the idea. We don't really have to sell them on the idea because they've done the research themselves. You know, they're usually all in or all out. You know, we get a, a few that will come visit campus and even participate in our summer seminar program after their junior year. And it's they get on campus and they usually it's the right fit for them or it's not, you know, and so that's the easy part, right, is is figuring out that you have to be in 100 percent. You know, it's what well, I usually tell my recruits that, you know, you can you're choosing between Navy and then all the other schools, you know, and, and the, all the other schools have very a lot of similarities. You know, obviously some stand out academically or competitively, but the Naval Academy kind of sets themselves apart as far as what type of school we are. So yeah, recruit, we're not trying to convince kids to, to be in the military if they don't want to be, you know, so, you know, the, the, that's the the hard part is the pool is not as good, but the, the, the recruits are very committed, you know, and once they're all in, we're, we're excited to have them, and, uh, you know, and but they have to understand what type of program they're getting into and the type of school we are. And it's a lot of hard work. That's for sure. Certainly. And I think the first instance or experience they have as a true uh, being a part of the armed forces and whatnot is the fact of boot camp. You always hear it all the time in the Coast Guard, uh, Army, uh, boot camp is essential to you know, training for the military. So if you wouldn't mind uh, kind of giving a little bit of explanation to what that is and the actual, you know, events that occur within that program, that'd be great. Yeah, our, our boot camp, we call it Plebe Summer, right? So Plebe Summer is when they come on a campus uh, at the end of June after their senior year. And uh, it's about six weeks long that they, you know, get indoctrinated to the Naval Academy the interesting part is it's just part of their leadership journey here at the Naval Academy, right? So the second class, what we call the second class, the juniors are in charge of the plebes and they're training for the summer. So they're the ones doing the yelling. And, you know, we we try to put plebe summer into perspective for our recruits and their parents before induction day. And we explain that it's, it's uh, again, just part of the process, but it's what you make of it, right? It, it, it the goal is that the upper class um, midshipmen are going to put you in a stressful environment to make sure that you can handle yourself in that type of situation, right? So they're going to yell at you. They're going to make you memorize things and put pressure on you to make sure that you can handle it and to learn how to handle it so that in the future, you know, through the leadership process, that you'll be ready to serve your country or ready for hardship, you know, coming out on top of, of difficult situations. And so, you know, it, it, it's not all tough, you know, they, they come over for rowing intramurals um, throughout the summer, you know, and, and they enjoy coming away, getting away from what we call Bancroft Hall or, or, you know, where they, where they're living and the, and they get to hang out with the other recruits, the other walk-ons, the coaching staff, and it's a little bit more laid back. There's there, we, we say at the boathouse, there's no rank inside the boathouse. So once you, come across the bridge at campus and you enter our boathouse, no upper class guys or, or officers are going to tell you what to do and yell at you, right? The coaches are in charge and, and we make sure that all the midshipmen are, are kind of on a level playing field once they, once they get to the boathouse. So believe summer, again, it's just part of the journey. You know, it's not easy. We tell the recruits it's not easy, but you know, you just have to understand that they're doing it for a purpose. And I think 
our recruits understand that and put it in perspective. They're they're come out pretty strong on the other side. We tell them to to be leaders. Don't just be followers. You know, during plebe summer and help the the little guys along and the younger. You know, I would say younger, but the people who are struggling. You know, and and uh, help them through the process. And uh, that's all part of, part of of what we do here as far as development. That's fantastic. I think that anyone who goes to boot camp is going to get a rude awakening, but it's also going to be a culture shock at the day. And it's almost related to, I mean, this is definitely not as intense, but you think about all these international athletes that come to America to grow or to be a part of athletics, it's a culture shock for them. Like it's a whole new nation, a whole new way of living. Being a part of boot camp is, you know, one to none. And I think it's amazing that athletes are super diligent in coming to the program and wanting to serve and to be athletes. I think it's fantastic. I always love seeing an IRA as all the midshipmen go down the race course and just hearing the men from the midshipmen, you know, it's just so unique and awesome. There's no other program that can say that. Now we think about the military career of the athletes is kind of going into the Q&A section of the podcast. Now uh, I'll have some other questions I do have for you, but we'll get into the Q&A. Uh, so one of your athletes actually, or alumni did ask you, uh, about to dive deep into the military career of the athletes, you know, postgraduate, uh, as this is an important part, because you, you do have to serve years after you graduate. Yeah, absolutely. So when you graduate from the Naval Academy, you're either going into the Navy or the Marine Corps. And uh, the minimum is five years of service, right? It's a, it depends upon what you choose or select from the Naval Academy. If you want to be a pilot, uh, it costs a lot of money to train pilots and to buy the jet airplanes to train them. Um, so it's a seven-year commitment if you want to be a pilot after you get your wings, you know, after you finish flight school. So that could be a little bit longer of a commitment. But um, but mainly it's a minimum of five years. But you can choose from many different opportunities, uh, you know, in the military. <clears throat> you can be on a submarine, on a surface ship. Um, you can go to Marine Corps from there. You can fly you know, for the Marines or be a soldier for the Marines, you know, ground soldier. Uh, you can be a Navy pilot, an NFO officer, a Navy flight officer, which is like backseater, uh, like goose in Top Gun or, you know, for a navigator for larger airplanes. You can be an intelligence. Obviously, Navy SEAL is a big one that everyone knows about. EOD officer, which is explo explosive ordnance disposal officer, which is also a special warfare a part of the community, um, as well as now cyber warfare you can go into, uh, supply corps and, and many other med corps program. Med corps is very selective, but you can become a doctor and you know, go, to, go to medical school straight out of the Naval Academy. So there's a lot of of different options. I probably missed one or two, but you know, it's there. As we say, you know, one of the greatest stories I have is in 2004, our lightweight team won the national championship. I was coaching the lightweights back then, and we had four of those guys who won the national championship. All were classmates. Uh, one decided to row on the U.S. national. Well, he went as a surface warfare officer. He became a surface warfare officer. Was on a ship then decided he wanted to try out for the U.S. national team. And um, they, the ship captain and the admiral of, of his portion of the fleet allowed him to train with the U.S. national team, you know? So that was, that was very, he was honored to be able to do that and to compete for a spot in the Olympics. I think he just missed the Olympics back then. We had another lightweight who did make the Olympics through a very similar program, but that's just one option of those four guys. One guy went surface warfare. Another guy went to become a Navy SEAL. 
you know, and he served as a Navy SEAL. And now he went straight to Wall Street afterwards, you know, because a lot of financial communities, you know, want the military guys after they get out of the, out of the military, you know, and fourth guy became a, a pilot. And, and the, as the story goes, you know, he, he was good enough to go to Top Gun and then he graduated from Top Gun to top of his class. And then he became an instructor, you know, like just like in the movie. Right. And uh, and now he went to back to business school and is doing great things um, now that he's out of the service. And fourth guy actually had a choice to become a Navy SEAL or go into the Med Corps program. He was a rock star. He was he was uh, pretty smart and uh, he, he chose to become a doctor, you know, and so he he's now helping out. He's at um, in San Diego at the main hospital out there for the Navy um, and he's doing great things as a doctor in the Navy. You know, so like just four guys winning a national championship, being able to do those different things, traveling the world representing the country, being able to try out for the national team, you know, so it's those, that was a special group of guys, but we have guys like that all the time, you know, being able to have those types of options after they graduate. That's a story right there. I feel like there's so many stories that you have while you've been at the Naval Academy and also, you know, as a coach, you know, you actually are, you're with these athletes all day, all day long and you're involved in their lives. And, uh, you know, I, I, one question I do have for you is the families when they send their children off to, become part of the Naval Academy. Do you have any talks with the families before they send them off to you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I love sitting down with the parents to, to make sure they understand the commitment level too. It's, you, you know, usually all the parents always say, and, and that's what we want to hear. We want to hear from the, the students themselves in the recruiting process. And ultimately it's their decision, you know, but for the Naval Academy and, you know, commitment to the military, we want to make sure the entire family understands the commitment and is okay with it and, and to answer any questions that they might have through that process. Right. So it's, it's important that we sit down with the families, you know, if they can't come in for the visit or, you know, official visit, we usually set up a zoom call with the families to talk with them and answer any questions they may have. We want to make sure that the parents understand the process, you know, while they're here at the Naval Academy through plebe summer on to when they graduate and what they're going to do in the military, you know, and the choices that they have in, in service assignment. It's really important that the parents are on board, you know, and we usually get a lot of questions and some parents are hesitant and some parents are all for it. So it's 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 a process that we we definitely uh, highly value is talking to the family, you know, you know, for the for those athletes. So you mentioned that the parents can go on to the official visit with their child yeah so what we we do um is we bring in the recruit for an official visit we pay for their flight they come in um stay in the dorm and we we usually put them up with a plea because we want them to understand the plea experience you know while they're here and go to classes and such but we invite the parents in to come basically for the football game so like at the end of the visit if the we're not paying for the parents to come um but at the end of the official visit if they want to come meet with the coaching staff and then go to the football game. Yeah, we we try to set that up so that they experience what it's like being on campus and talking with the coaches uh, personally, you know, to to get all the information necessary to make a good decision. Any stories or memories that you've experienced with people who really want to be a part of Naval Academy, but they just don't meet the requirements? Yeah, that's, that's the heartbreaking part is sometimes, you know, medically, we can't get all the recruits and athletes in that we we want you know and it could be something smaller that 
the families or the athletes don't know about that become a, a bigger problem. Um, so there are waivers for certain things medically. Um, but so, you know, we, we want to make sure they're healthy. And that, that's, that's the whole part of the medical process is that the Naval Academy, the government, right, in general, wants to make sure a candidate that's going to a military institution is available to select any service that the school offers, right? And so you can't be colorblind if you're on a surface ship because you need to see red and green, right? Typically, asthma is, is a disqualification, but we can get a waiver. Typically, asthma is not a big deal for us because our students are in an endurance sport and can handle the situation. So that's typically waiverable. There could be some major surgeries or issues with vision where, you know, that, that could disqualify you from being a pilot, you know? So there are some things that, that come about during the medical process that could disqualify somebody, uh, you know, but you know, with our support, we can get around some things, but some things it just doesn't happen. Yeah, and, and sometimes we have, we think things might be waverable that that aren't, you know, and so we are at the hands of the government and the medical process a little bit. But for the most part, you know, we just want healthy guys, right? Healthy athletes, guys and girls, right? We do have female coxswains on our team and we're proud of them, you know, and, and, but the medical process is just, you know, it's one more step to make sure that you're you're going to be qualified for everything you want to do uh, and to serve our country, you know, and it's very similar at every other military institution and, or if you want to enlist or go to, you know, officer candidate school after college as well. And you have to get a letter from the state official or Senator. Is that correct as well? Yeah. You have to be nominated uh, by a Congressman, Senator, vice president, president, there are a few other nominations, but yeah, you have to apply for a nomination, uh, which makes it, you know, unique for sure compared to other schools. So the the application process is a lengthy one. That's why we we tend to start early. That's why it's rolling admission here at the Naval Academy. We kind of help them along the way, you know, as far as the nomination goes and how to apply, where to apply the deadlines and, and everything else. It's Naval Academy, but it's still a college at the end of the day. How is that for academics and what kind of grade requirements are the recruits needed to have before they come to your academy? Yeah, academically, it's a strong institution. It's one of the top engineering programs in the country, you know, so, you know, academically, we're looking for strong uh, students, just like almost like Ivy League type of standards, right? So we do have a foundation program, which, you know, if, if a student really wants to come to the Naval Academy, you know, and they're not quite up to par, uh, the foundation program can accept them and send them to postgraduate school. And we've had a couple of kids go to Kent and Salisbury through that process and develop academically so that they're prepared when they get to the Naval Academy. And so it's pretty much a guaranteed admittan admittance once they go through that program. And that, and they, we, they don't do that for just anybody, you know, it has to be a, a top end recruit, but at the same time, you know, it's, it academically, I, I don't want to say it's tough here at the name, but it's a strong academic institution and you have to perform pretty well to make sure that, you know, um, you're getting good grades and you're not the stress of the military side and the academic side and the hours that we put in physically aren't overwhelming, right? So we we tend to recruit some smart guys and, and rowing tends to bring out smart athletes as well. When did you realize, do you have ever realized that your team at the Naval Academy was all in 
and what type of things make you realize that a team is fully invested in one purpose? We learn pretty quickly who's all in and who's not. You know, I think any coach can tell you that, you know, and the kids who are not all in, they don't survive the training program here. They get swallowed up a little bit in in the ergs mileage and the, the, the amount of time and effort it takes to become a division one rower. So all our guys are all in, you know, and, and I think the, the process that we have, uh, you know, tryouts for plebes, you know, and we tend to have a big plebe team um, going on to varsity. And, and we even have a tryout for the upper class guys once they come back from plebe year to make sure that they can hit the standards of what we're looking for. So they weed themselves out a little bit, you know, and th- at that point, the guys are all in, you know, and they have a common goal, you know, of, of winning championships, of, of making boats go fast, you know, making finals at the end of the year to to compete for a national championship. The the really cool part about what we do is is our walk-on program, right? So we have walk-ons that never rode in high school, but we have a lot, you know, very athletic student body, you know, and so we have uh, kids who you know, never rode, you know, but played basketball or swam or cross country, you know, and come out for the team. And during plebe summer intramurals, they get to show off and pull a one minute erg, 500 meter erg, you know, it's similar to, I'm sure, Wisconsin, how they start off with their walk-ons. And, and uh, we have guys that can compete with the, with our top recruits right away on day one, just because they're physically gifted. Right. And our goal is to try to develop them you know, on the water technically so that they can be ready to compete, you know, uh, not only on the plebe team, but, you know, as an upper class on the varsity program, we have our team captain right now is a walk-on never rode in high school. Right. And uh, some of our top performers this year are walk-ons, you know, we've had walk-ons make the under 23 national team that never rode in high school. So I think we do a great job in, in developing those type of athletes to be able to succeed, you know, in collegiate rowing, and even have a future after college uh, in rowing as part, you know, of learning through our program. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think your program has the biggest rowing class. Like over, is it over like 70 people or something like that? Yeah, you know, I I probably will, will get a, a couple uh, feedback for this, but I'm going to say we have the biggest men's program in the country, right? I I say that because Wisconsin's got a huge program. Washington's got a huge program. Cal, Harvard, Yale, but not all those schools have a lightweight program as big as ours as well, right? So on the men's side in general, you know, we're putting out eight heavyweight boats a day, seven lightweight boats, eight person boats a day. Um, So I think combined, we probably put more athletes on the water, you know, on, on a single day than anyone else. And that's pretty special. You know, it's, it's definitely big classes. It's a little overwhelming at times, how many boats we're putting out and, and everything has to be a little militaristic as far as, you know, getting off the dock, getting on the dock, morning practice, getting in the showers, getting out, getting their breakfast, heading straight to class. It's they have to um, budget their time wisely, you know, and and uh, with that many athletes in the boathouse, everything has to uh, work properly and to make sure that we're doing all the right things and and, uh, you know, getting as much out of each practice as, as we can. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? 
And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Wow. I mean, Wisconsin, just for everyone who doesn't know, their their cutoff is 52 guys on the squad. Uh, so you're pulling out almost nine, you said almost nine eights a day. That's uh, eight, Yeah, I would say eight heavyweights, seven. So we're talking 15, right? So our our roster for the heavyweights is probably 70, close to 80 guys. Our lightweight roster is 60 to 70. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a big program. I mean, as director, you must be like, <laughs> overwhelmed every day i mean that's a lot of athletes to make sure they're all in check and you're given the fact that you said i didn't even think about this the military aspect of 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 time and how important time is of the essence uh in practice it's almost like the drill sergeant has to still be present at practice and you don't you don't think about that because like a coach is in charge of making sure and the captains or cocks whatever you want to call it and making sure their their teammates are all in check and our good teammates, one another, but you have to influence the military side of things as well. And I mean, I was just introduced to my buddy. He rose the Coast Guard and he was showing me his dorm, the nicest dorm I've ever seen in my life. I mean, the sheets, everything is just fine tuned to the, it's amazing. And all the athletes are just trimmed well. It's not a college program. Like it's, it's, it's a whole different vibe and environment. And I'm curious to know more about that. Part of what we do at the Naval Academy, right? Structure keeping things clean, orderly, that, that definitely bleeds over to the rowing program. And we try to keep things ship shape, you know, and, um, the, the team, the boathouse works well together. I'm, I am the director, but uh, you know, I, I just oversee what the boathouse needs and what our head coaches need. You know, our, our women's coach, coach Lossberg, our lightweight men's coach, coach Bagnell, um, they they've been great to work with, you know, we're all on a level playing field as far as the head coaches are going, you know, here at Navy and we work really well together, right? We have three erg rooms, which we rotate between the programs. We have a small Creek that we can use that we use on the rotation system. If it's the, the river's too windy on a given day. So we have to work together and we have to really be spot on with our timing and our midshipmen understand that, right? Our midshipmen are trained by, you know, us, but you know, they have a great background and start during plebe summer of, of, making sure we're doing things the right way, getting things done properly and not wasting any time, you know? And, and I think for having as many people as we do in the boathouse, it runs pretty smoothly. Structure is so important in college and in life in general. I, I've really, I've seen it personally from, you know, my, from me and my teammates. It's unbelievable how much structure can help you. And everyone says that, you know, rowing helps academics. It helps you stay fine and, and stay, stay in check uh, your grades need to be up to be eligible for to compete in athletics as you know, in addition to that, but being an athlete and especially on the rowing team, getting good grades correlates well. Uh, and I think that's amazing that our sport does have a high standard. So my next question here for you, uh, this is a Q and a question as well is your favorite spring race. <laughs> oh, I think everyone on my team knows my favorite spring race. Um, it was, my favorite. Athletes. <laughs> yeah, right. 
My favorite spring rank is is the Goes Trophy uh, between Navy, Syracuse, and Cornell. It's it's a historic trophy, right? Um, it's the Goes is the varsity for the varsity boat, but there's also a point trophy for you know the the competition at large for the top three boats. And I love it because number one, I actually enjoy racing up in Ithaca and Syracuse. And I love it when they, they come down to the Naval Academy and experience the Severn River, which is very different than most uh, bodies of water in our collegiate programs. But all of the, the three programs are always uh, very competitive every year. And I think you, if you ask those coaches and we've said it at our trophy, uh, presentations every year that you know any one school in that tri regatta you know that tri meet can win on any given day in any boat class you know so um that one's really exciting we, we put a star on that one you know obviously racing harvard and penn princeton and columbia and all the other races we race is, is very special but that one kind of sticks out as my favorite for sure and your your connection to dave reichman and todd kennett what is that like because both those coaches are are legends. <laughs> they are. Uh, and, you know, it's great because we, we have a great relationship, the three of us. And we talk a lot about rowing and, and um, the ups and downs of our of our programs throughout the years and how competitive, you know, rowing has become in, in this country. I think we've all had seen some great success in our programs uh, over the years. And they, they've been around uh, quite a long time. You know, now that Chris Clark is, is, I'm sure he's not retired, but he's he's the director of rowing, not the named head coach. You know, Todd and 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 uh, and Dave are, and probably Charlie Butt are, are the, one of the longer standing coaches in the league. And and uh, I've known them for a long time. And it's been pretty special for sure. And going back to like your, your time rowing, right? I think it's important to talk about it. You know, you rode for Rutgers or you, and that's a program that was is not around anymore. The lightweight team is not there. Heavyweight team, you know, down a club. When you first heard that Rutgers was was having that move, I had interviewed the Rutgers women's coach uh, Justin Price not too long ago. What was that like? Yeah, that's a hard that's a hard question. Um, yeah, I felt I felt bad for the the Rutgers men's community. You know, the men's team became a club program mostly for. Uh, pops, you know, Steve Wagner, the head coach of the Rutgers program. He was the head coach. He was the one who gave me a shot to be the varsity lightweight coach of Rutgers. So I owe him a lot. He's, he's been, he's been everything in for Rutgers rowing for the past, you know, I don't know, 30 plus years now. And so I felt for him and the community at large, um, it was tough to hear. I know that athletic department was going through some transitions and joining the, the big 10 and, and everything. And, seemed like the right thing to do to cut, you know, a few sports or make them club sports. And I felt angry. I, that, that's what I felt, you know, so did a lot of my classmates, a lot of the rowers, um, because, you know, rowing was the oldest sport at Rutgers, right? The oldest varsity sport. It, it was from what I've heard, right, is uh, Rutgers is one of the first institutions as well as some of the Ivy League schools and the Rutgers rowing contests What like, the, the first football game ever in this country ever was Rutgers versus Princeton. And it was a side competition to the rowing race that was going on that day. Right. Which was predated that. Right. So the history at Rutgers for rowing and putting as many coaches 
on the national team and all the fan, you know, rowers from, on the national team. And then the, the coaching tree that came out of Rutgers, you know, whether that be Will Porter up at Yale, Charlie Budd at Harvard, uh, Tom Tierhar, um, you know, Scott McKee, I mean, uh, Andy Teitelbaum, I mean, Steve Perry. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of great coaches out there that came out of Rutgers and it was a shame to see that, that it was cut. Gabe Winkler. Yeah. Yeah. Coach Gabe. Uh, there's a lot of things, you know, it's, it's fantastic though, that the program, at least the coaches, like I said, the coaching tree, it, it's done well. Like I, I think if, if I was a director of rowing or if I was in charge of the rowing program somewhere, seeing the alumni go out and still be positive influences onto the youth uh, is, is fantastic. And that's only, that's what I would want is to make sure that whatever I've taught my athletes, that they're taking that and giving it to the future generation and making them better. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, you just mentioned if that was a whole eights worth of guys on a team, it, it would be like amazing. Uh, but anyways, going in my next couple of questions here, uh, your favorite experience with the King's cup. Uh, love for you to talk about that. Uh, I personally am not too familiar with it and I would love to learn more about it. Yeah, uh, that was a, an amazing experience. So in in, two, in 2019, they the Henley basically decided to bring back a race that started 100 years ago in 1919 called the King's Cup. And it was um, back then it was basically a peace regatta that celebrated the end of World War One. And so they invited military crews in to Henley basically to race on the Thames uh, to compete for this King's Cup trophy. And Australia won it back then. Um, the the American boat was uh, uh, full of officers from the army that, that just finished, um, you know, serving during World War I. Um, and Australia won and brought the King's Cup back to Australia and, and they held it in high esteem um, for many, you know, for, for generations. And then they decided to bring this race back. So they created a new King's Cup, not the one, the trophy that that went home to Australia, but to celebrate 100 years of military service and rowing. And so they brought these military crews from all these different countries together, the, all the original teams um, from England, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the United States, and France. And then they added also the, the Dutch, the Netherlands, uh, as well as Germany. And they decided to race off. So we were invited to go over there. I was called um, because, uh, you know, we are, we're a military school. We have a military rowing program and they asked us if we want to come over. And so I asked then the chief of naval operations, who was a former rower, Admiral Richardson, if if uh, we could represent the United States over there. And he's like, absolutely. You know, and uh, the big joke was that uh, you know, the army went last time and they couldn't seal the deal. So now it was the Navy's turn. And so we were able to take a boat over there and we decided to make a, a big deal out of it for our whole boathouse. So we invited lightweights, heavyweights and and women into our camp. And the, the King's Cup committee decided that it would it would be fantastic to celebrate the fact that women are now in our military and mandated that it would be a mixed crew race which i think some teams were hesitant about but you had to have at least two women in the boat that was competing 
And uh, we were all for it because we had some fantastic women on our Navy women's crew that that were ready to to step up and practice and compete alongside our men's team. And, and so we went over there with two boats worth of, of athletes because we wanted to make a big experience of it. And the, the boat that we selected had two lightweights in the stern pair, four heavyweights in the middle of the boat and two women in the bow pair that were probably two of the strongest women we've ever had on our Navy women's team. So they definitely were, were driving from the, from the bow for sure. I, I put their uh, them up against any of the women in the, in the competition, uh, hands down. But it was the, the controversy was that, you know, the, the Germans showed up with pretty much all national teamers in their boat um, because a lot of their national team serve in their military as part of their funding to train, you know, for the for their national team. And so uh, there was a couple former Olympians in their boat, an Olympic gold medalist in their boat. And a lot of the teams were, you know, worried um, and we were ready. I think, you know, we were ready for it. We weren't, we weren't going to let that kind of sway uh, our mentality. So it was an exciting race. It was mo- one of the most special rowing events I had been part of. And if you Google it, watch it on YouTube, Germans definitely got a big lead, not a big lead, a good lead, you know, four or five, six seats on us. And we were able to come through them in the middle of the race. And, and it, as the announcers say, if you watch the, the, the YouTube video it was one of the most exciting uh, races of the regatta. So it was pretty special, pretty special having a Navy crew up there, accepting those little red boxes of Henley medals up in the stands in uniform in their, in their Navy whites. So it was, it was a special day for our whole program. What do you look for? You already established that you want to make sure the athletes are ready and they understand what it's like, uh, you know, to be a plebe uh, for their official visit. They get to see, you know, and live in the dorms and whatnot. But what do you as a coach look for in those athletes specifically? Because every every coach, you know, they some coaches say they, they don't look at the political side of it, you know, how tall you are, what program you row for, the results you have. Uh, but your program is just so unique that anything that goes on or any way of, of deciding who's the right fit is just what the Naval Academy does. You can't correlate it to anybody else. Yeah, the right fit is what you said. It is exactly right. We got to find the right fit for us, as I'm sure every other college needs to find the right fit for them. And so for us, you know, it's not just about ERG scores, right? ERG scores is a big deal. Obviously, it definitely gets our attention for sure. But it's your work ethic, right? How hard you want to train. And and proving that to us is a little bit hard. So we, we do, you know, our due diligence, talk to coaches and um ask the right questions about, you know, and, and invite them in to see our team working hard to make sure they understand what's, what we do here, the right character, right. The right fit for our culture of our program, right. We call our program, the brotherhood here. And um, it's very fitting, you know, and, and it goes back to the Shakespeare quote, the, you know, for he today that sheds blood with me shall be my brother, you know, and that's, that's kind of our motto, you know, and that's, part of the military as well, you know, as part of the culture of the boathouse of, of being selfless, sacrificing for each other, uh, you know, and so that's, that's a hard thing to quantify in a recruit, but we do, I think a, a good job of making sure that our recruits get to know who our, you know, our team is, our athletes are, and we get feedback from our athletes when we have recruiting official weekends, right? So that 
they they give us some good feedback of whether they would be, fit well within our program and the culture that we're trying to build here. Dave O'Neill from Texas, you know, it came off of past three years. It's been amazing what he's done with the program. Uh, you know, Big 12 coach of the year. He's, he's had all these accolades and whatnot. Great coach. And he says that he does not call his team a family, that their team is more about being what they call as a Texas teammate. And that if they were to get an athlete on their on their team, you know, what if they don't have good work ethic and they're not putting in the right, right attitude every day? How as a family, you, your family is always going to be there for you, always going to show you love. Uh, but at, for a team, that's that's where it's different because a team needs you to step up and bring your A game, as they say, every day. They One of their big quotes is treating every day like it's NCAAs uh, as that is their championship. And, uh, you know, for, for men's rowing, uh, especially, you know, for men's lightweight and heavyweight rowing, it is the IRAs. So the fact that they say that they don't even use the term family on their team, but you use the brotherhood and other men's rowing programs that I know of uh, do use a brotherhood as a part of it in other sports as well. How, why do you think that it is, is their side of the, of the reasonings accurate? I mean, have you ever thought? Yeah. About I think you need to have a balance for sure. You know, we are a family, we are a brotherhood. Um, but at the same time, the leadership values and development here at the Naval Academy, we're, our leaders are not afraid of, of calling out the athletes who are underperforming or need to do better in, do better in the classroom, do better in cleaning up the locker room, right? Do better in handling our equipment. So we, we have those type of rules and, you know, leaders in place to make sure, you know, even though we are family, we need to uphold the standards of the brotherhood, the legacy of the brotherhood. And, and that we kind of brings it all together. So I, I, you know, I know coach O'Neill, you know, and I actually listened to that, that podcast. And I thought that was really interesting and a great take, but I, I, he would probably agree. There's a balance there, right? Because, you got to care for each other, right? And that brings you together to to be better than than the individuals. Um, you know, and the sacrifice for each other. You know, it, it creates an environment where um, you become very close. And how close is your team to the other sports at Navy? <laughs> yeah, I think they are close. It's a smaller school. It's not a huge school, so we are close to the other uh, sports. We definitely. We'll go out and support the other teams on campus. Uh, a few years ago, I know we had a team captain that was all big on that. So we'd show up to the women's soccer games and they'd be cheering louder than everyone. The, the women's soccer players loved it. They couldn't wait for us to come back because they thought it was actually helping them, right? Because um, they were cheering so loud, making up chants for the other teams. You know, so it's it's hard though, because you spend so much time in your own sport and then you got the academics and then even here, you got the military side. It's hard to to have free time to support the other athletes. But I think here we do a good job with that. And what are some of the facilities that, that you have the Naval Academy for the, for your athletes that the other students at the school don't have? Well, our, our boathouse is fantastic. We have a 16 person indoor rowing tank um, that, you know, has six engines and the designer said it was the fastest tank in the world. I have no idea if that's true or not, but at the time that's what he said. And, and he's built, you know, probably 80% of the tanks in the world. So, you know, who knows, but great facility, great erg rooms. we got a great, you know, training staff, medical staff, 
weight rooms. We have great weight rooms on campus, not inside the boathouse, but we have varsity weight rooms that our teams use and the strength coaches that we work with are, are fantastic. So I, I think, you know, as, as you would imagine, the Naval Academy prides themselves on on their facilities and, and how well we run things here. And our athletic director keeps adding sports versus taking away sports um, like most schools. And so his goal is to have the most sports of any division one program in the country. And I think we have 35 right now. I think, you know, we're pushing, we're equal to Stanford and Ohio state. And he's, he's trying to push it ahead of everyone else. So there's a commitment to athletics here at the Naval Academy. That is pretty amazing to see. Annapolis is a special place, a historic town, you know, and surrounded by the Naval Academy. So it's a, a definitely a special place. The Naval Academy supports the community and the community supports the Naval Academy. And uh, everyone here has been fantastic and and we wouldn't want to call any, any other place home right now. Uh, you know, on a military campus, you always have to be in uniform. Um, you know, unless, you know, I think the first, these second class of juniors and seniors, when they go off campus uh, at that age, they can start wearing civilian clothes. So even when you're running on campus, you have to be in what they consider PE gear, which is issued by, you know, the school, right? As military gear. So it's a pair of mesh shorts and a, and a blue rim, white blue rim t-shirt, you know, so we do the same thing at the boathouse, right? So we have our issued gear. We are an Under Armour school, you know, and and we wear Under Armour gear, you know, and we, the greatest thing is we don't really have to police it. <laughs> like, you know, you know, I'm not going around and telling people what what they should and should, they, they, they just wear their gear, right? Like this is, we look like a team, you know, and that's part of what we do, right? Like as a military, like we look like a team. When we travel, we usually, if we're, we're usually travel in uniform, we have to travel in uniform and we, we travel with an officer rep who makes sure that we're doing, uh, you know, uh, doing things the right way when we get off campus, because it is a military movement order versus just a trip with a college sports team. Um, so we have to abide by those standards and those rules. And yeah, we're, we're proud of, you know, the fact that we look like a team all the time. Getting into finances, because I know this is also a unique part of the academy. Correct me if I'm wrong. The athletes and students can get paid. Are, are paid from being part of the academy or am I wrong? Uh, yeah, but it's it's a small stipend, right? So it basically, it's a it's it's a free education, right? So everybody who comes to the Naval Academy gets accepted. Um, it's free to go here. I, I, don't, I don't say free because you have to serve the military, right? So um that's the cost right that you, you're put you're going to serve your country afterwards but yet then they give you an allowance a stipend um to pay for incidentals you know uh as you live here you know all the meals are free as well um all the uniforms you get are are free um so that, that's a great opportunity you know to you know instead of scholarships it's it's just a free education and when you graduate, we have one of the highest salaries, starting salaries of any college. You know, everyone's getting paid the same amount. And I think most people would, would you know, they're getting paid seventy five dollars to $80,000 a year straight out of the academy. Most people don't know that. Most people think being in the military, you're not going to earn that much money, but it goes up significantly. Even our submarine officers get a $10,000 bonus during their junior year of college just for signing up, you know, to be a submarine officer, you know, and so it's... Uh, yeah, it, it can be lucrative and, and 
some of the athletes who I would have never expected to stay in for more than five years in the service do, you know, and, and now they're in for 20 years and vying for being a Navy captain or uh, Marine Corps colonel and, and above. And, um, and it's awesome to see their progression and to see them, you know, to learn to love the service. Right. And and there's some who who recruits that we know plan to be a military officer, you know, for their career, but then get out early because there were other pursuits, you know, whether it's medical school or business school or, um, you know, engineering graduate school as well. So it, it, it can go either way. But yeah, it's financially it's it's a great opportunity, you know, and a great start to a career, uh, you know, graduating from the Naval Academy. With the recent establishment of NIL, can people at your academy use that? That's a great question. No, we can't, right? Because we're they're government employees. They're in the military once they get here. And and as of right now, even though our compliance officers are looking for opportunities where we might be able to uh, participate in NIL, right now we we cannot. You know, and I think it's my understanding that the Ivy League may not be able to right now, although they that may change. You know, the, the the landscape of the NCAA is 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 changing quite a bit. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised about anything. But at, at the same time, I think our athletes are getting everything they need, um, including a guaranteed job after they graduate, you know, to, you know, so it's it's a it's a wonderful opportunity. All right there, coach. Well, that's the that's the heart of the Q&A questions. Uh, and then. We have some funny questions that some of the guys on the team submitted that I'm just going to ask because why not? Uh, you can choose to answer them if you'd like. Uh, someone's asking, uh, where's the volume? Does that mean anything? Where's the volume? Yeah, where's the volume? Uh, that's a great question. Volume, you know, volume is is what we're doing right now. We're working out a lot. So the volume, the meters, the mileage, it's it's there this year more than ever. Steve Gladstone goes by this quote, uh, have no regrets, come off the water having given full measure. Does that quote mean anything to you? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think Coach Gladstone, a lot of what Coach Gladstone uh, has said resonates with all of us in the rowing community. Um, I, you know, that quote specifically, I think it, it you know, to me, it, it means a lot because it, it it defines kind of what we do at the Naval Academy, giving full measure, whether it's on the water, in the classroom, uh, in the service, or for each other after the service, you know, for your, you know, your military uh, brethren out there in the fleet. So it's, it's, yeah, it's significant. Sure. That's what a uh, coach Gladstone's coach uh, once told him, uh, Tote Walker. So he likes to reference it all the time. And everyone knows that. And Chris Clark even said, you know, uh, coach Gladstone's always saying, you know, have no regrets. So that's, that's unique to coach Gladstone. Uh, last two funny questions here. Uh, how many microphones do you go through in a single season? Uh, megaphones, I guess. Yeah. So it, it depends. Yeah. Occasionally if, if the guys are not rowing well, or they're, they're not, <laughs> if they're not doing proper things, a megaphone might get uh, destroyed, but it's rare. It's very rare. So I would say, no, you, I, I'm pretty proud on, on keeping my megaphone up and running. I don't use the new blue ocean megaphones. I use the old, old megaphones, radio shack megaphones. And I'm there. I, I feel like they're a little bit louder and I, 
I hoard them and I try to make sure that they stay running as well as they can through through an entire year. There's a statement here. The boys want to try considering a bucket in the 1V. Yeah. Good luck. All right there, Coach. Well, uh, that's the episode with Coach Rob Friedrich, Director of Rowing at the U.S. Naval Academy. Coach, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate your time. And I'm wishing you and the team all the best this season. All right, Hudson. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for this. And I really applaud what you're doing here. It's good stuff. Uh, it's great for the rowing community. Thank you. Thank you.